reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24 and starting with verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning should, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Skipping through to verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, Ian. He deserves an Easter egg for the longest reading in the history of Common Ground Bloberg. And a round of applause. Well done, Ian. Thank you. Whoops. 
That's not meant to happen, eh? So, 2,700 years ago, Jonah gets spat out of the tummy of a whale. We're having Easter with Jonah, and if you look at the next slide, we see one amazing moment that happens in that, uh, a little further, the next one, sorry. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. 2,700 odd years ago, give or take a couple of years, Jonah gets spat out of the belly of a whale. 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes out of a tomb. 20 years ago, to the day, I walked out of a tent, and I shamelessly, I will never say sorry, every Easter, those of you that have been here for the eight years that our church has existed, will know that I will tell this story every year that I can. (laughs) 20 years ago, to the day, on Easter, I get a phone call from my mom saying, Happy Easter. I'm lying on my back after the biggest weekend of my life, and not the kind of big weekend that Christians have, uh, a big weekend, and the words Happy Easter have this supernatural power about them. I finished this phone call, and I can only say that whatever I imagine Jonah felt like when he popped out of the tummy of a whale and landed on the beach with some modicum, some sense of newness, somehow that he just knew that, that things were different as he popped out on the other side. I think I felt something of that. I walked out, and it was like everything had changed. I, I wish I could describe the feeling. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably experienced this feeling at some stage in your life when you put your faith in Christ, and, and somehow you just knew that everything was being made new. It was like the the past was no longer the primary story of your life. It was like the the present and the future had this this new shine about it. It it had a new color. It had a new expectation over it. I remember driving along back from Hunclip, along the coast road, um, that, that stunning area past Cool Bay, and I'm looking out, and it was never more beautiful than that day. I'd never seen anything so crisp, so clear than the day, Easter 21st, it was 21st of April, 2003, 20 years ago, when I felt that sense of the resurrection life of Jesus come to my life. I I knew the story of the gospel, the one I'm going to share with you today. I knew enough, thanks to Sunday school and some really faithful Kids Rock leaders who are doing their tasks. I had been told the story, but it was that day that it felt like God actually walked me out of my tomb and walked me into his life and made sense of the beautiful gospel of Jesus. And, and I hope today that I help some of us to make sense of this gospel, that some of us experience with Jonah something of the, the second chance of God, something of the new life of God, something of the forgiveness of God, something of his resurrection life. A tummy, a tomb, a tent. I don't know what God is calling you out of. I don't know what your life situation is, but today is the day that makes sense of every other day. It makes sense of every other day. And, and we looked on Friday at, at a whole bunch of things that have finished. And, and today I want to talk about some things that have started. Some things that have started. A whole bunch finished on Friday, but a whole lot started on Sunday. I just want to sort this out. I've got something pulling down my back here. There we go.
You see, on Friday, we see that three things were finished. I mentioned this on, on Friday. We, we looked into it. We, we saw that the war against sin and Satan and, and death was, was completed. Jesus did the work. He was crowned the king over uh, heaven and earth. He was the heaven and earth true king. Whilst Rome was mocking him, putting a crown of thorns on him, God was crowning him heaven and earth's true king. It was the final killer blow. Sin and Satan and death has been dealt its killer blow. They, they will not get the ultimate victory. We will still see the presence of evil. We still see the presence of death. But it will not be the permanent reality, thanks to what happened on the cross. Also, the curtain was torn in two. That means that every human being has no longer got limited access to God. Every human being, thanks to Christ's death on the cross, has had atonement that's made for their sins. That means that you and I, no matter how badly we've done, no matter how much we've done the worst job at being human you could imagine, Jesus went and took the punishment upon himself. And he says, anyone who wants to come to me can, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, based on the fact that he did for us what we could never do, and he took the punishment upon himself that we could have access. It's a massive hooray. Friday was huge. And then condemnation was taken away. That horrid sense of, of guilt that we walk around with. The fact that we simply just don't do being human really well. We wish we were better humans than we are, but the fact is, is we wake up in the mornings with a sense that we're probably going to let ourselves down or we're going to let someone else down, and worst of all, there's a chance we're going to let God down. Some of us are deeply self-assured, and we go, I never let anyone down, and your pride lets you down. The point is, is we all think that, that we all know that deep down there is this, this sense, I haven't matched up. The cross was the, the final invitation, the final word over the guilty verdict over you and I. Whether the verdict comes from me, whether the verdict comes from you to me, or me to you, or from God to you, Jesus says, step out of the courtroom, come to the cross. It's there that he cries out before the Father, and he says, Father, forgive them. I really I would like to preach this for the rest of my life because, man, we live in a low-grade guilt all of our lives. We live walking, kind of going, I could have done better as a dad. I could have done better as a child. Oh, I wish I had treated my friends at school. I wish I'd never done that. Oh, man. And, and we can live in a kind of low-grade guilt or a high-grade pride, pretending we don't have any issues. Hey, whatever it is, the, the, the cross comes and says, condemnation is finished. Come into the story of grace. Receive the amazing sense of God's love. You are not perfect, but God will change you as you receive his forgiveness. On Friday, Jesus finished some things, and they were good. But on Sunday, Jesus started some things, and they too are very good. So what happened? What happened in the resurrection? What happened when Jesus rose from the dead as he walks out of this tomb? Maybe you've got some big question marks just around the resurrection entirely. You, you, you're here, thanks for coming, but you've been dragged here. You, you're not sure you want to be here, or you're here because you're a joyful cynic. Hey, stoked to have you. I'm a joyful cynic a lot of my life. And you know what's made it harder in our generation is that we've got this kind of notion that goes, hey, that's your truth. That's your truth. And uh, the longer you watch Netflix or Apple TV or any media, you become more indoctrinated into a world that goes, oh, sweet, you do you and I'll do me and that be your truth and that'll be my truth. But, but not many people are logically thinking this through 
and contemplating the fact that you can't have your truth and my truth if they don't match up. It, it's, a, it's logically incompatible for you to have a truth and me to have a truth, and the truths don't line up and for us to say they're true. One of us is wrong and one of us is right. It's just not possible. The sad thing is that there's many you know, supposedly smart professors who are saying, you know, you can make your own truth. You can shape your own sense of yourself, even if it's not true. Hey, today I want to suggest to you that you can't have multiple truths that clash up with one another. And one of the most important truths that you need to come to terms with and you need to really grapple with is the truth of, did Christ really die? Did it really happen? And secondly, did he really rise again? And it's not going to cut it if you go, hey, Rog, sweet, that's your truth. You, you roll with that, bro. I'm happy for you, mate. You keep that up. Because factually, fundamentally, you and I can't have different truths. And we're going to have to give account for the, the way that we deal with what we call our truths. Either the Bible is right or it's not. Either it's a fact or it's not. And, and I want to invite you into a rigorous, honest, humble conversation towards understanding and towards getting to the bottom of this really big conversation. Did he rise from the dead? Did what these people, these 500 disciples say, did it really happen? Did the fact that they, they went to their graves professing that he had risen again, did it really happen? Did this 2,000-year-old movement based on the resurrection of Jesus, this movement called Christianity, did, did, is, it, is it a hoax or, or is it real? If it's real, my goodness, today I want to invite you to take some real careful thought. Because to write it off or to, to even sideline it as a sweet little fairy tale that you can withdraw to, draw from to kind of make yourself feel a little better is probably not sufficient. Hey, you need to do some real, honest, hard work. By the way, this isn't my truth that I claim. This is what I believe the scriptures teach and is the truth. So let me talk about the resurrection, because there's a couple of myths, I think. Sometimes when we think of the resurrection, it may be from Sunday school, it may be from TV, it may just be our logical conclusions that we come to because nobody's ever told us otherwise. Sometimes we think of the resurrection a bit like, you know, the bonus package. You know, if you call now, you won't just get the king who, who died on a cross for you, you can also get a resurrection added along with it. You know, call now and you'll get the full package. You know, it's like almost a bonus that God added onto this really amazing string of miracles that he was performing. And sometimes we imagine the resurrection a little bit like that. It's just like God was on a roll, man. He was, he was dying in amazing sacrificial love, and then he just carried on and he rose again. And wow, like, doesn't need to have too much meaning. It's just really cool. It's not that, by the way can also be kind of like uh, uh, the rabbit in the hat, the kind of magic trick. Another final miracle that really proves, you know, cool, it was great that he, you know, he fed the 5,000. Amazing. He made blind eyes see. Wow, you know, what about just the final one that, you know, Christians can really tell their buddies when, when all else is failing? Do you know he rose from the dead as well? Another miracle. Yay, great one. The miracle of miracles. You kind of just imagine God sort of, you know, getting bigger and bigger, showing that, that his, his, his miracles get bigger. It wasn't that. It wasn't the final, you know, rabbit in the hat. It also wasn't his lucky last option. You know, 
oh my goodness, scratching his head, looking down, going, oh my gosh, I didn't think of this. I didn't think that maybe he would die on a cross. So, what can I do to turn this thing around? How do we get a happy ending out of a pretty sad start? And so God kind of goes, what if I rise him from the dead, and that'll make everything better again? And he sort of turned it around. It's a lucky last option, and God kind of wipes his brow and goes, whew, that was close. We nearly duffed that one. Yeah, sometimes we can think of that. It's like losing, 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 and then wait till Sunday, hooray! Mighty Ducks kind of experience. It was all dead and buried until he pulled it out the hat. It's not that. No, no, the, the whole of, of history has been planning, and God knew exactly what he was planning. He was the son of God, slain before the creation of the world. God knew that he would be the one who would die on human beings' behalf. He knew that he would bring redemption. He had a plan. He knew that on Friday, he was going to finish condemnation. He was going to finish the war against sin and Satan and death. He knew that he was going to buy access for all human beings that we could be atoned. And he knew that on Sunday, he was going to start a new project that was going to be as beautiful as ever before. On Sunday, God began some amazing stuff. You know, the Bible is the story of, of, of uh, Eden. You know, that's where it starts, Genesis. The garden, amazingly, Jesus is in a garden right at the, uh, just before the cross. And, and it's this amazing place of, of flourishing, of joy, of beauty, of creativity. Hey, there's creatives here. I, I've met most of you and, and spoken about your beautiful stuff that you create, whether it's movies or graphics or arts or, or lessons for kids. I mean, we've all got creativity in us. Eden was a place of, of creativity being used for the common good and the glory of God. It's a place of glorious flourishing until human beings turn their back on God and their backs on each other. And it becomes a place of war and, 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 and fighting and backstabbing and pride and arrogance and, and self-serving uh, kind of, uh, initiatives. And God starts right in the beginning this process where he says, I am going to begin a new project. I'm going to restore this thing. I'm going to bring Eden back. I'm going to create a whole new thing. I've been reading the story of Narnia. Has anybody read Narnia? Not just watched the movies. You're not allowed to put your hand up if you've watched. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I hadn't actually read them all, and I still haven't. Just a disclaimer, because I sounded so arrogant there. Um, but I'm reading it with Chloe, and it's this amazing uh, journey as we get through uh, Narnia, and we now are the, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And this amazing moment, you know, Aslan has created the world. C.S. Lewis is an absolute genius. He's, he's really taking from the biblical themes. And, and the, the white witch has come in, and she's got power over Narnia. And it's this perpetual winter. It's a very sad place to be, and everyone lives in fear of this white witch. And you hear these whispers. They keep saying, Aslan. Aslan's on the move. There's this amazing, uh, as, as you start reading further and further, they say Aslan's on the move. And as they speak about Aslan being on the move, they start to go on this adventure to go meet with Aslan. And ultimately, whilst they're doing this, the snow is beginning to melt and the flowers are starting to, to bloom again. In so many ways, the resurrection is exactly that. The resurrection is the firstly, it's the beginning of a new humanity. It's the beginning of a God birthing a new humanity. 
Ian so beautifully read in Luke 24, in verse 27, it says this, as these people are walking on the road to Emmaus, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. You know what would have happened in this moment? I, I, I would pay my whole life savings to walk on that road with Jesus, to be able to hear as he unpacked the prophet Jeremiah who said they're gonna receive new hearts. There's coming a time where where humanity will not need to buy or or earn their their grace with God. They will be given God's amazing love and they will not have hearts of stone, but they'll have hearts of flesh. They'll be taught to love and be loved again. There'll be people who who won't just kind of, you know, tell the the fake story. They're gonna be people who are honest and transparent and and vulnerable and are gonna learn to, to really love and to serve and to sacrifice for one another. There's going to be a sense of of real love that reigns again in humankind. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, speaking about this new humanity, says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul is is going, hey, it's a problem if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, because there's some who are saying, hey, maybe he wasn't raised from the dead. That's a little, that's a bit far-fetched, you know, let's get a bit more reasonable. Let's not talk about this resurrection thing. We could still tell a good story and build churches and Paul goes, no, no, you, you can't. This, this is fundamental. If Christ never rose, we're in trouble. And so he says, but in Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Then listen to this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As death came through the rebellion of, of our forefathers, Adam and Eve, and so uh, our painful world is the one in which we live, so in Christ comes the beginning of a whole new humanity. Hey, either you believe this or you don't, by the way. This is like, this is real kind of, I've, I found myself reading this the last few days going, wow, you need some, you need some help from the Holy Spirit to believe this stuff because it feels like I'm reading Cinderella or I'm reading, you know, this is, this is big stuff. It's, it's grand. It's, it's about another world that God's creating. It's about another people that God is birthing for himself. It's a whole new humanity. And it all started the day that the first man, Jesus, began it. If you want to know, is it true? Is God starting a new humanity? Is he building one new people together for his glory, a new family of God? Then you need to look at the resurrected Christ. That is your proof. That is the number one reason you and I can say it. We're part of something new is because there is a resurrected body that is symbolic. It's the first fruits of the ones that all of us will get. Put your faith in Christ. Trust him and you can be guaranteed that you too will receive one of those. Look at your body. Wouldn't you like one of those? Bit of a renewed, refreshed, strengthened body, a new humanity with a new heart, the ability to love and be loved without insecurity, without needing to put up your guard, without wondering if you've done something right or wrong, without wondering if you're at good terms with the other in a new world. It's a, it's a remarkable thought. The person that they met as they walked on that road to Emmaus was, as Paul describes, the first fruits. The first fruits was, was basically, in, in farming terms, they would go pick, they would, they would check, and, and they'd be waiting. You'd wake up each morning, you'd go look. I've met Nikki's family, farmers, and, uh, and so we know the feeling. You, you go out and you check, and they planted some macadamias, and, you know, each season, you're like looking at these trees, and they just don't seem to be growing. And then one day you walk out, 
and you see a macadamia nut popped off. It's so small, it's so puny, and seems so useless, but you know, it's the beginning of a fruitful harvest that will come. The, the body of Jesus, his resurrected body, is the first fruit. It's the beginning of a guarantee that you and I have put our faith in Jesus. Once we've done that, we will experience and have resurrection bodies of our own, and we too will be brought into this new humanity. Isn't that cool? Pretty awesome. He started something new. He started a new humanity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, right from 12, he says, if Christ is preached, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? So some are saying there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, did not, but, if, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Listen to this in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We should be the saddest people around. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then why in the world are you waking up and reading your Bible and praying to him? If Jesus never rose from the dead, why would you care about living a life of love and sacrifice? If Jesus never rose from the dead, why would you care to, to let people love you? Why not just put up a, a, a tough old face and, and brave it and move on in the world and who cares what trail of destruction you leave behind you? But if Christ has risen from the dead, he started a new humanity, and there's a new future, and this is just the dress rehearsal for the one to come, and we're going to be with him forever, and we will receive new resurrected bodies, and a whole new life with him has begun. Put your faith in him, and you know what? The other first fruits is you get the deposit of the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of you. That's what the promise is, is that you get a tiny bit of that resurrection life comes and lives in you, says Paul. A new humanity has started, but also a new age has dawned. A new age, a new era. I've spoken about this many times. If you're new, we, we realize that we're in an evil age. That's what we call the present evil age. But, but Jesus, in his amazing uh, grace and love, has inserted himself upon human history, and he has introduced into us the age to come. The sinless, beautiful age that Revelation 21 describes as, as without tears, without mourning, where, where human beings actually do work together. They're not self-serving, but they're sacrificial and, and live in beautiful love. It's in the resurrection that this new age dawned. Jesus finished it on Friday. He finished the work of completing sin and Satan and death, but on Sunday, he rises again and he becomes the first fruit of this new age that has begun. And so the angels look at these two ladies and they say, why? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not a dead man. He has risen. There's a, there's a new age that has started where people will begin to partner with a God who is building something brand new. 
Revelation 21 verse five says this, and he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, the one who's now been exalted at the right hand, he said this, behold, I am making all things new. Aslan is on the move. The snow is melting. The end is beginning to come closer. And Christ is at work. And the flowers are starting to bloom. And you should not miss out. Don't flirt with one side or the other. Throw yourself onto the resurrected Christ and begin to walk with him and partner with him and let him love you because you are going to, if you put your faith in him, you're going to be with him forever. You're going to enjoy this new world, this new age to come. It's almost like a whole new world was birthed just at the beginning when Christ was resurrected. What's your view of heaven? What do you think of when you think of heaven? I mean, this would be fun to workshop, and I'd, I'm tempted to say, hey, tell the person next to you, what do you think of when you think of heaven? Should we do that? If you're with someone and you're happy to chat, tell them, what's your first impressions when you think of heaven? Go for it. Okay, I'm going to cheat a little here, because I heard a few references. I, I, I listened. I pretended I was just looking down, but I was actually listening. But can I suggest that some of us maybe said streets of gold? Maybe some of us said clouds or harps? I didn't hear that. It was a joke for you, but it wasn't for others. <laughs> Angels with you know, slightly overweight, plump baby angels flying. Any, any of those ones? Um, clouds, harps. Those are, those are kind of medieval imageries that have followed us into our present day, and they often are what we actually think of. Oh, the other one is often just prolonged worship services. If you've been in church for a long time, people think that, you know, heaven is just going to be like forever, and you're like, whoa, my gosh. Like, these guys are good, but I don't know, Natalie, like, can we do this forever? Like, just sing. I mean, my throat's already sore. Sometimes those are the things, like, just like church that never ends. And I mean, wow, is that really heaven? Well, what I suggest that one of the best ways to imagine heaven is to look at the resurrected Jesus. He gets a new body. That's a, that's a good clue, by the way. That, that, that if, if we're going to be with him forever, we're going to also get new bodies. So heaven is physical. That's amazing. I mean, a lot of us don't even think of heaven as physical. You can blame this uh, really annoying Greek guy named Plato for that. Plato, he honestly ruined uh, us when it comes to heaven. Plato messed it up for the church. And there's too many early Christians who were really smart and really influential who loved Plato. And Plato basically said this. He said that everything spiritual is good. Everything physical is bad. And so the church and some of the forefathers and theologians basically went, tick, that's the way. And so if you thought about heaven or the other world, the, the place of paradise, it never had anything physical. It was, it was always ethereal. It was always about, you know, wafting spirits kind of moving through. And it's just so inaccurate. 
Jesus is making a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be beautifully physical, and it is going to be amazingly satisfying, and it is going to be filled with adventure and challenge and creativity and beauty, and it is going to be led by the king himself who is making all things new. It's remarkable. There is nothing and nowhere else you want to be in the world than in the beautiful new heavens and the new earth with Christ himself. And if you're unsure what it's like, then go walk with the resurrected Jesus and catch his heart and look at him and learn from him because you can see what it is all about. When he walked this earth, he gave a taste of it. Why do you think he healed people? Because he wanted to show us what the new age to come would be like. There wasn't sickness. Why do you think he, he loved people so profoundly and so sacrificially? Because he was showing that the age to come was a place of beautiful, self-giving love. It wasn't a place of, of what we could get. Why do you think he took on great challenge? Because the age to come is filled with amazing and beautiful challenges. He said, come, when we go to heaven, we're going to rule and we're going to reign and we're going to conquer and we're going to create and we're going to take the garden that was just a tiny little place on earth and we're going to expand it. And you're going to use your love for numbers and your beautiful ability with sound and your beautiful ability with color and your beautiful ability with young people. And you're going to turn them into beautiful, mature, older lives. And there's going to be a sense of forward movement and beauty and creativity and life. That's the age to come. And he is the first fruits of that new world that has just started. When Jesus stepped out of that tomb, he was the first, the beginning of a new world that was going to start. And here's what he said. He said, wait in Jerusalem, because I'm going to give you my spirit. And my spirit is essentially the power that raised me from the dead, and it is also the spirit that is going to regenerate, that's going to create this new life in the age to come. I'm going to give some of that to you now so that you can taste the age to come, so that you can live in it now, so that you can learn the ways of this age to come, so that you can love each other in that way, so that you can care for each other, so that you can become what some theologians call an outpost of eternity. Jesus has gone back, but he sent his spirit, and he says, you will get to live like that. And so 40 days later, and we're going to work on some beautiful time in Pentecost where we're going to look at what happened when God poured out His Spirit because essentially as He poured out His Spirit, He poured out the Spirit of the age to come. He poured out the Spirit of the, resurrected, the, the resurrection power. We live in the overlap of the ages where there's beauty and brokenness all at the same time. I went for a run at Milneton the other day. And I became so aware. I ran all the way along the Milneton sort of, um, actually ran along past the big sewage dump area. You know where that is? If you've driven that road, you smell it every time you pass it, just before the beautiful Milneton High School. And so you've got beauty and you've got brokenness. You've got this beautiful flay, and then you've got the stink of sewage. You've got a beautiful high school and those beautiful lush fields and the, the creativity of an amazing groundsman who does the best job in Cape Town. I love driving past those fields. I think he's going to be in the age to come, and he's going to do all our lawns. <laughs> and you'd run past, and then I, I get past the sewage, and I see these kids going to learn, and I'm amazed by the, the brokenness and the beauty. And then I run past um, the, the sort of promenade as I get to the river, and the river is the color that it shouldn't be. But, and it's flowing out into the sea as I get to Lagoon Beach right at the end. And I stop, and there's just not a breath of wind. 
and, and, and the, the gray sky is blending into the ocean so that it's like this, like a mirror. I could hardly spot the difference. And Robin Island can't be seen, and then it's blending in, and the, the river is br- breaking out into the sea, and the waves are like beautiful, crisp lines of glass. I can't believe what I'm seeing. It is so peaceful. It's so calm. It's so beautiful. And I look and I go, God, you are very smart, and you are amazingly creative. Then I look across at the guy just run past, who can't keep his pants up because they're torn, and he is high on everything that he could get his hands on, and he's half passed out against the, the, the steps. And I find myself going, beauty and brokenness, what do we do? What's the solution? And I come to Easter, and we come to the resurrection, and we surely have to, have to, have to believe that he's making all things new. You've got two choices. You land in despair and you keep looking at all the brokenness or you lean on the resurrected Jesus and you say, you are making all things new. Here I am, pick me. And you can either put the lenses of despair on and you look through life and you go, oh, I see that guy. Oh, I see the pollution. This place, it's all falling apart. Because it's easy to see that, especially if you read the news. People get paid for that, by the way, to keep your attention and tell you bad news. But Christ paid the price to get your attention, to tell you there is really good news. He's making all things new. Would you join him? Would you put on the lenses of faith, and would you join him in participating and making all things new? Use your gifts, use your talents. Most importantly, bring your faith and say, Christ, Here I am. You haven't returned yet. When you do and you wrap this whole thing up and there's no pollution and there's no addiction and there is just pure beauty, I will celebrate and I can't wait to bring the best of my gifts to this. But actually, I want to start now. And I want to invite your resurrection power, your resurrection creativity by the power of your spirit to just partner with you and to see what you are doing and to not grumble at what you're not doing. Today, I want to thank you that you've started a new humanity. You've started a new thing. 20 years ago, honestly, to the day God pulled me out of a tent, 2,700 years ago, he took Jonah out of the tummy of a whale because he knew 2,000 years ago Christ was going to rise again and begin the process of making all things new. Let's pray. Maybe the band can come up. Jesus, today as we sit aware of the beauty and the brokenness, in many ways we're aware of the beauty and the brokenness in each of us. There's there's both, almost an equal measure in my life. I am amazingly grateful today. Without making this about me, I'm grateful that you took me out of that tent and you showed me yourself And Lord, there's so much that still needs to change in me. But I thank you for for your life. I thank you for your love that found an addicted, self-obsessed, self-centered person who was really good at disguising all of that behind a ruse of friendliness and 
frivolity and kindness, but underneath needed real healing, needed real new life. I'm so grateful for the 20-year journey of you walking with me, of just taking me by the hand and letting, letting me make mistakes under the banner of no condemnation, not guilty. And Jesus, 20 years, probably more mistakes than anything. But 20 years of amazing grace. 20 years of amazingly being carried by a loving Father. Lord, that's not just my story. That's every many people's stories. That's because of your amazing grace. That's because you have power, resurrection power, to make the most broken and the most wounded and the most pained. You can make us new. You can give us a new story. Jesus, thank you for that. Today, I want to encourage you, maybe by faith, to receive Christ freshly. Say yes to walking with the resurrected Jesus by His Spirit. Yeah, it may be your first time today to just say, yes, I choose you, Jesus. I want you to know that if you say, yes, I choose you, that He chose you long before today. He's been walking with you. He's been watching you. He's had his eye on you. From the moment he died on the cross, he's looked at your life and he said, here I am, come home. I've made arrangements, says Jesus. I've made arrangements for your flaws. I've made arrangements for your misgivings. I've made arrangements for your pain. Come home to me, I'll walk with you. The life that pulled me out of the tomb, the power that, that raised me to life will begin to raise you to life. Just receive my love, receive my forgiveness. Turn around, stop living your own life. Start trusting me. You'll see beauty you've never seen before. You'll see new things. In fact, you'll see old things in new ways. Don't worry about what you need to give up. Realize what you need to gain, what you stand to receive in the love of Christ, the new heavens, the new earth, in partnership with Him. Say yes freshly. Not because I told you, but because He invites you, because He cares. Jesus, as we just enjoy this moment of being in Your presence, as we sing together, we sing as those who have received amazing, amazing grace. We sing as those who look at your victory on the cross and the new things you started in your resurrection and we say thank you that we get to partner with you. May our lungs, may our voices, may our postures as we sing and as we move into this week and as we, uh, as we rest and as we play and as we do every part of our lives, may they reflect and resemble the heart of the resurrected Jesus. Let's stand.